When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome in. It's a Friday edition of Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbal filling in today for Chris Schmidt, who has the afternoon off. He is checking out uh, the Jack Pierce funerals. Uh, Jack, an instrumental part of his life as well as a good friend to his father. So Schmidt is getting out there and uh, taking in the funeral. I am joined here uh, from the Hale Varsity Club with Connor Clark, who's joining me in studio. I should say the award-winning Connor Clark, fresh off a gold in the... Well, t- tell us all about it, Connor. You're at the Nebraska Broadcasters Association convention on Wednesday, and, and you took home the gold. It's just just to let the people know what's going on. Well, yeah, it was, it was me and a friend of mine. We did a Nebraska women's basketball game for Big Ten Plus back in November of 2021. It was the gold award for the best sports event for the college division so essentially announcing the game I was play-by-play and my friend I'll say his name Matt McMaster was on color so uh big credit to him as well he helped me get that award as well so uh it was great to be there great to see a lot of familiar faces and, and meet some new ones and uh we we saw a lot of awards given out our sister station KFOR got a lot of awards so it was it was a great night all around yeah, and I was I was saying to Schmidt yesterday, uh, it's funny this show. It's the award-winning Chris Schmidt, the award-winning Connor Clark, and the at least he shows up on time, Elijah Herbal. It's, <laughs> it's a great show. What what more could he ask for? I don't know. You're a co-host now, so I would give you some credit. Come on. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my award, Connor. We we got a lot to get into today, though. As uh, I told you, Schmidt has the day off today. Is he's uh, out at Jack Pierce's funeral and. In honor of Jack, pay his respects, we are going to uh, be rewinding to our YouTube Tuesday segment with Jack Pierce as we lead off Hour 2. As, uh, if anyone, uh, our local listeners, remember, during the COVID summer when everything was shut down, there was no football, there was no sports, Schmidt and I remained on the air and we didn't know what we were going to talk about. So uh, we ended up doing a YouTube Tuesday segment every single week where we would uh, sit down with an instrumental member of Husker history and uh, take us back through a game. So we sat down with Jack in June of 2020 to talk about the 1988 Oklahoma game. It was a 7-3 victory for Nebraska in the wind, in the rain, terrible conditions. It was Barry Switzer's last regular season game as the coach of Oklahoma. And uh, Jack Pierce walked us through that back in June of 2020. And we're going to hear from Jack again today as uh, today is a day to pay our respects to Jack. We're also going to hear from Lars Anderson in hour two as uh, Schmidt and I actually sat down with 
Laura's last night and got his takes on a, a lot of things SEC football as well as what the Huskers have coming in 2022. So we'll hear from Lars in hour two. And then coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll hear from Hale Varsity's Jacob Padilla. We're going to talk some Husker volleyball, uh, a little bit about the Husker running back room, and maybe if we have time, the new commitment for Husker basketball is Jacob Padilla is on the beat of all of those things. He's incredible being able to keep his notes straight, keeping his thoughts straight, and uh, he, he is an expert on all three of those things. So we're excited to talk with Jacob here in about 15 minutes. But where I want to start this off is something that was blowing up Twitter this morning. Or Blowing up might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, a lot of people around the college football world were a little bit up in arms with Brett McMurphy's top 25. He released what he sent into the AP for their first uh, preseason at top 25. And, I mean, really, it was just a, a pretty ridiculous list, if I do say so myself. Uh, like, you look at it, and he has Miami in his top five out of nowhere. Uh, I'm not sure how you can justify that one. Uh, Nebraska comes in the list. We'll get that in just a second. But, I mean, I think this kind of reinforces to me just how off the wall some of these preseason polls are, how little they matter, because Alabama at one, okay, that makes sense. Ohio State at two, that makes sense. Georgia at three, sure. It's a fine top three. If you've watched college football over the past three years, you're not making anything, uh, any crazy assumptions there, making any hot takes. That's been the best three teams in college football over the past three seasons, and, and that checks out. Coming at number four is Miami. Yeah, yeah, Miami. I'm not sure what criteria he has to put them up there at number four, um, but he follows it up with another doozy. It's Texas A&M at five. Texas A&M, a team full of underclassmen, very talented underclassmen to be fair, but underclassmen who have never proven anything, and they got to go up uh, against a tough SEC schedule this year. And I mean, a lot of these guys are not SEC proven yet. They're still somehow number five in Brett uh, McMurphy's uh, AP preseason poll. Utah is six, Michigan seven, Oregon is eight, NC State is nine, and Baylor is ten. That, that's your top ten. And I think if I can read anything into this top ten, it's just no one. From the media, guys like you and me, Connor, uh, even the national media, guys like Brett, coaches themselves, they don't know what to expect when a season gets going. You don't know what you have in fall camp as a coach until you get them tested in that first week. You might have somewhat of an idea, but you're not for certain. And uh, I mean, Brett McMurphy clearly is more uncertain than the coaches because this is just a, a zany list, Connor. Yeah, Miami at four, and we talked about this before we went on today. That was one that really stuck out to me because. Yeah, okay, new coach in Miami, but I feel like we go through this year after year with the Hurricanes, big preseason projections, big preseason mm -hmm. expectations. When they get on the field, it doesn't pan out that way, and I don't think it's going to pan out that way. Like I think we're going to see history repeat itself maybe a little bit this year. Certainly not college football playoff Miami. I don't think that is even going to be a discussion at any point during this college football season, who knows? Maybe they surprise everybody, but I just can't see that happening. You mentioned Texas A&M as well. A lot of underclassmen. Now, granted, they have one of the better recruiting classes in the entire country, and they've been pretty successful over the past couple of years, but you, you're right. You mentioned it. They have to prove something first, and they will be a good team, but they are in the SEC. They have a lot of stiff competition to go up against. We will see them in the top 25, do not get me wrong, throughout the entire season, but... Again, are they a team that's going to knock on the door of the college football playoff? Probably not as of right now. 
but who knows? We'll see as the season progresses. Other interesting inclusions further down the list. Clemson comes in at 11, which I guess after the season Clemson had last season, uh, you don't want to be too bullish on the Tigers, but that defense I think is going to be phenomenal this season. And, and the ACC, it's not like that's the hardest conference in the world to, to go win and, and potentially go run the table in. So Clemson at 11 is a little bit interesting to me. A little further down, we have Wake Forest coming in at 17, which, again, after the season they had last season, maybe not out of place, but the, uh, the, the talent they lost, that Wake Forest team, and you still got to go through the who's who of the, the ACC, that's a little bit high to me. But to bring this back to Nebraska, Brett McMurphy threw Nebraska in number 25 of his preseason poll. And looking at that, I think we all know, as Husker fans, we, we know why he did that. And it worked for him. He got clicks. He got discussion this morning because everyone went, what has Nebraska shown you during the Scott Frost era that would tell you that they should be in the top 25 of your preseason poll? They haven't shown you anything this season. A team full of transfers, a team full of new coaches, a new offensive coordinator, potentially a whole new look on offense. And he's going to put them in at number 25, which is essentially just, hey, Let's get the people talking about Nebraska. Nebraska still draws clicks despite how down they have been since, what, 2014? This has been a down Nebraska team. And yet they still draw the clicks, and Brett McMurphy knows that, and he's going to throw them into his top 25 to get those clicks. But it's, it's, my, my reaction is say it with your chest, Brett. If you're going to be that obvious about what you're doing, say it with your chest. Put Nebraska higher than 25. 25 is a joke of a spot, first off. That's your least confidence in your top 25. You're just going to throw them in there. So we all know what he's doing. But what's even more interesting to me is they compared it to uh, Action Network, is who Brett McMurphy is working for, and they compared it to their betting expert, Colin Wilson's betting power rankings. And he goes further than that. He says it with his chest. He puts Nebraska in at 16, which I report on Nebraska. I've been talking about the Husker football program for years now. Uh, if there's a, a Husker homer in the media, it's me. I grew up around this Husker football <laughs> program. I mean, you have to separate yourself from that fandom when you get into a role like this one. But, like, I was the biggest Husker fan ever growing up. You could have asked me any number on the roster, and I would have been able to tell it to you. That's who I was growing up. I was that 10-year-old that had the roster memorized. I loved this Husker football team growing up. And I'm still a homer. That That's still somewhere within me, despite the fact that I have to separate myself from my fandom. But... That's just like, I wasn't expecting Nebraska to get a single vote in the AP Top 25 preseason poll. And the fact that Brett McMurphy did it, in my opinion, to get clicks just feels a little bit wrong. Look, I think the only thing besides the getting clicks and publicity stunt to put Nebraska in the Top 25, if you look at it from last year and how close Nebraska was in so many different games, and yes, we keep beating that drum over the offseason, but how could you not? It was a historical season in that sense. But you combine that, and then you combine new quarterback from Casey Thompson, who maybe is an upgrade from Adrian Martinez. We'll have to wait and see. And obviously a bunch of new coaches on the offensive staff as well. You bring in Mark Whipple. You have additions from all over the country, SEC additions, players and coaches alike. And maybe that is a reason as to why Nebraska sneaks into that top 25 in the 25th spot but I agree with you Elijah they shouldn't be there and for everybody asking well why is Nebraska in there what has Scott Frost done basically what has Scott Frost done for me lately I mean it's it's absurd that they are in there and they shouldn't be in there but that would be my only other guess as to why he would put them in the top 25 other than 
clicks and the brand. And it's a case to me of you've had the national media putting Scott Frost on the hot seat and saying, prove it, Scott. You haven't been able to prove it in Nebraska. And even a local media that's saying, you know what? We, we don't want to buy into the hype. We, we think there's reason for optimism this season, but to not buy into the hype, we're going to say prove it. And that's why this game against Northwestern is so huge. It's the team's chance to prove it. And then you have Brett McMurphy coming in, just willing to be wrong in order to get clicks. Something about that rubs me the wrong way. But where I want to take this conversation before we get to Jacob Padilla is just the aspect of, is it necessary? Is it a part of, of you as a Nebraska fan for Nebraska to get into the top 25 this season? Is that a part of your criteria for Nebraska to have a successful season, let alone is it doable? Because I think it's very doable. You look at the fact that Nebraska can go 3-1 and one through their first four, which is doable. A, a win against either Northwestern and or Oklahoma, one of those two, and then a win against the two non-conference teams you should beat in North Dakota and Georgia Southern. That's doable. And you follow it up with... I mean, three games you should win in the Big Ten out of your next four in one toss-up. Indiana, you should win. Rutgers, you should win. Purdue's a toss-up. If you win that and you take down Illinois, you're now 7-1 and one heading into the hard part of your schedule and 7-1 and one in the middle of your season heading into November. That's good enough for a top 25 spot. My question is, is that kind of, of start to the season of your first eight games, is that necessary? A seven and one or maybe even a six and two can get you a squeaked into the others receiving votes or, or the back end of that top 25. Is that necessary for this season to be considered a success for Husker football? And, and Connor, I want to get your take on that because that end of the season stretch is going to be tough. And we, we talked about this yesterday on the show. If you don't have your six wins by the time Minnesota comes to town on November 5th, you're going to be nervous as a Husker fan and I think the team's going to be nervous as well knowing okay we're at five and three through our first eight first off not good enough for top 25 but second off uh, if you find three losses in there do you really think you can find yourself one to two wins against the likes of Minnesota Michigan Wisconsin and Iowa that that's where I come in in this conversation where I go yeah I mean it's very doable for Nebraska to get a, a small stint in the top 25 I don't think Nebraska finishes this season top 25 and if they do I will be very pleasantly surprised that's not a bad thing but Nebraska based on how the schedule sets up should realistically get a stint in the top 25 if this is the year that Scott Frost saves his job gets himself another year and the Husker football team makes a bowl a, a, a top 25 goal uh, by the end of October, it's not unrealistic in any sense of the words, at least in my opinion, Connor. Well, I don't think it's necessary. Like, it's not required in order for Nebraska to have a successful season now. But, but, but what, what I'm trying to say with the required or necessary is the fact that what you have to do in order to have a successful season will lend itself into getting yourself well, right. ranked in the top 25. Rank, getting ranked in the top 25 is not your goal. It should never be your goal. Your goal should be to get a W on whatever team uh, is coming to town or, or you're going to next Saturday. That's your only goal. And if you get ranked in the top 25, great. But I think in order for Nebraska to have the kind of six season that we as Husker fans would say, yeah, that's a success. I, I think that top 25 ranking would come along right with that. Well, exactly. The, the more wins you get, the ranking will come. And going to your point, if you're heading into November 5th and you're five and three, I think that's a major red flag. And you look at the back half of that schedule, it is not favorable at all for this Nebraska team. It's full of teams that Scott Frost in particular has had a lot of trouble with in that back half of the schedule. And I just talked about this earlier today, actually going game by game on the schedule. And I think Nebraska starts 7-1, and one, but I think they finish the season 7-5. and five. So that just proves how difficult that back half of the schedule is 7-1, as you mentioned. Obviously good enough for a top 25 ranking, but... 
seven wins by that November 5th date. I don't want to say it's required, but it's kind of required in order for them to feel confident about where they're at. And obviously you're bowl eligible at that point. Because if you're 5-3 and three heading into that month of November, I mean, there's not a guaranteed win in that stretch. And Nebraska could be facing some real trouble when it comes to bowl eligibility. And in those last four, we were talking about this yesterday, some early lines. Nebraska only favored in the game against Minnesota, which I even think is That's a little bit nervous as well, that you're a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the home against a Minnesota team that has always played you tough. But that's where I'm at uh, on it, Connor, is if Nebraska does, in fact, have the type of season that will get Scott Frost another year and make Nebraska fans happy, I think a top 25 placing uh, would come right along with that. We're up here at the Hale Varsity Club in La Vista. Uh, between the Embassy Suites, the Cabela's, the Alamo Draft House is right here as well. Come visit us. We're here from 4 to 6. It's Elijah Herbal filling in for Chris Schmidt. Connor Clark is in the studio with me. And uh, we're looking forward to getting caught up with Jacob Padilla talking some Husker volleyball, some Husker hoops, and some Husker football. That is coming uh, your way next right here on Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. This segment is presented by Union Bank and Trust. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Getting you all set for the weekend. It's a Friday edition of Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. I am up here at the Hale Varsity Club in La Vista. Come see me from 4 to 6 as it's uh, me up here today. Schmitty's got the day off. And then next Friday, if you can make it next Friday, Schmitty's going to be up here 4 to 6 while I am in the seat of Connor Clark right now in the studio. That will be coming your way next week. And then the Friday after that, Schmitty is going to be in Dublin as uh, we are just inching closer and closer to Husker football season one week is just oh so one more week down with this show is one week closer to Husker football and we are looking forward to that but we're also looking forward to talking with Jacob Padilla here as Jacob joins us on the live stream you can check it out ESPN Lincoln's Twitter page or the ESPN Lincoln Facebook page to see all of our lovely faces as we welcome in Jacob Padilla and Jacob how you doing on, on a Friday today it's uh, it's good to see your smiling face and I, I see you got that comfortable chair back today <laughs> yeah it's uh kind of the last really like quiet Friday before we're fully into the season. We got some high school football starting up next week. Um, obviously next week we're diving into game week for Nebraska. So a lot of stuff to kind of keep working through as we, we build up towards that season opener. So it's kind of chilling at home and relaxing a little bit today before we kind of dive into a busy week coming up. What does a, a relaxing day at home look like for Jacob Padilla? Are you, are you flipping a movie on, or are you are you firing up the old PlayStation and getting some 2K going? Like, what what does that look like for you? Are you reading a book? Sorry, I shouldn't be judgmental here. Uh, um, I yeah, I, usually uh, I say my book reading for uh, at night before I go to bed. Um, mm-hmm. During the day, I'm just like today. I, I actually uh, it, it's not really uh, I guess same thing a lot. Of people, I'm, I'm watching some like tape, some AAU tape um that games that i have access to that i wasn't able to watch so uh, i was trying to finish put some finishing touches on kind of the summer stuff before we dive into the season and uh we have no time for any of that and i i sleep in i do not set an alarm on fridays 
Talking with Jacob Padilla here on Hale Varsity Radio. You see Jacob on the sidelines coaching his AAU basketball team, Padilla Elite. I'm not even sure if that's the name, but that's what we're going to go with. It's the, the Padilla <laughs> Elites out there on the court. You also read him, Hale Varsity Magazine. He covers volleyball. He covers football. He covers basketball. He does it all for the team. You can find him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore. And Jacob, let's start this off here, getting into the Husker topics by diving into this Husker volleyball team. It was their first full week of their fall camp and uh, a lot of question marks surrounding this Husker volleyball team from uh, I mean how uh, an offense led by Kennedy Orr is going to look who's going to step into that middle middle blocker role and I'm not even quite sure what the expectations for this team should be this year so as you look at it now Jacob what's your biggest question mark that you're looking to get answered early in the season from this Husker volleyball team yeah I think the biggest question is kind of the one you let off right off the bat with um is what does this look like with Kennedy or running the show? We, we, we got to see her play in parts of two matches at the, the beginning of the season when she was still a little rusty coming off the knee injury. Uh, so we really have no idea kind of what this will look like. And um, Nebraska is banking on her being able to kind of live up to expectations for the number one player in her class coming out of high school. Um, Nebraska identified her very early as the, the team's next starting setter. And this was always the, the plan to have her step in this season to, to take over. Obviously, the, the pandemic and the extra eligibility kind of threw a wrinkle into things. But uh, Nicklin Haynes uh, is like, she, everybody's on board. Like, hey, this is Kennedy's time. That's what, what Cook said. That's, uh, I know Nicklin uh, was more than happy to kind of de- defer the season. Uh, she wasn't quite sure if she was even going to come back or start coaching immediately. But like, you know what? It, it's it's Kennedy's time to kind of make this her own. So um, it's kind of a unique situation still having a four-year starting setter, multi-year captain still on the team, but not in that role. So we'll see how that works. I think skill set-wise, she's going to fit in just just fine, kind of however they choose to, to utilize her abilities because she's such a good defender and passer. Um, but, yeah, it's can Kennedy unlock those outside hitters maybe a, a little more than what we saw last year and over the last couple of years? Um, because, I mean, she's got that built-in chemistry with uh, the, the, her teammates in that class that she played Team USA with Lindsey Krause and with Allie Batenhorst even before they, they teamed up at Nebraska. Um, so now she's get, she gets to play with them, and Maddie Kubik, obviously. Maddie, Maddie played against her uh, in, in club, uh, she told me. Um, she uh, Kennedy playing up, she was a long time. Uh, she played varsity early on up there, too, so. Um, it's that, that is ultimately, I think, going to determine the ceiling for this team. Just how good can Kennedy or be as the starting setter? Because I think the question at middle blocker, however that sorts out, I think you'll be fine based just on the talent at that position. Um, and I think you feel good about those outside hitters making a jump in year two. Um, the, whoever kind of ends up winning uh, those jobs, because that's still uh, a question as well, kind of who ends up playing where. We know... Kubik is going to play one of those outside hitter spots on the left side. Who's the other one? And then who starts at the right side? Um, that's a, another question facing this team because, but you've still got kind of the key pieces back and you've got experience there. So um, ultimately can Kennedy get the most out of them uh, and be the, the leader that Nebraska needs out of that position. Jacob Padilla is with us on Hale varsity radio and Jacob, even after the roster shake up a little bit over the off season for this Husker volleyball team, is it still championship or bust, or is that a little bit too harsh of a take going into this year? 
I think that's kind of the expectation going in pretty much every single year. Um, mm. th- there's some years where it's uh, maybe a little bit more of a stretch than others. Um, but again, last year, they had brought in all these freshmen and played them, and they came within a couple of points of actually getting it done, uh, closer than the previous few teams had. Um, so, I, I mean, they're, they're picked second in the Big Ten uh, by the Big Ten coaches, and pretty much you – I mean, you, you land in the top two, three, four of the Big Ten, you're going to be a national title contender. Um, obviously, preseason doesn't really mean anything. It's just kind of an expectation. But um, I think you look at the top, uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Ohio State, Minnesota, um, all those teams are loaded between players they've got coming back and additions they've made out of the transfer portal. So um, if, if Nebraska is able to, to finish right near at or, or at the top of the Big Ten, they're, they're going to be well-poised to, to make a deep, deep run. And I, I don't necessarily know that bust is ever um, the kind of the term that's on their mind. Like uh, Maddie Kubik even talked about this coming into her senior year, although she has another year if she wants it, that this Maddie Kubik and Kenzie Knuckles will be the last class, scholarship class at Nebraska that will have that decision to make because uh, Ani uh, Evans' walk-on is the only other member, uh, or is the only member of her class uh, in this junior class. Um, but... Uh, it, it, Maddie said, yeah, I mean, you like high expectations, but you're not playing like those aren't what you're playing for. You're playing because they love volleyball and they love their teammates and they love everything about the game. So I don't know if it's championship or bust, but it's like, Hey, championship, this is the goal. And we feel like we've got everything we need to to make that happen. And, And I think that's the case, uh, for this Nebraska team for sure. Jacob Padilla is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. We're at the uh, Varsity Club up in La Vista. Come get yourself a cold one. Get yourself a bite to eat. May I recommend the pretzel? It is incredible. Uh, Come join us. We're here from 4 to 6 every single Friday before uh, away games and uh, leading up to the season here as uh, Schmitty will be here next week. I am in today, and uh, then Schmitty's off to Dublin. We'll get the season underway, but uh, come check us out. Talking with Jacob Padilla here. And Jacob, let's, let's move over to football now. And uh, you had a great story uh, about the, the running back room. That's been a, a big topic of discussion with uh, how unsuccessful, I'd even say, that the running backs have been over the past two years. Adrian Martinez, your leading rusher. I don't think anyone expects the quarterback position to be the leading rusher this season, but you got some good candidates for that, that running back one spot. And uh, I think that remains to be seen which lead guy is going to emerge. But tell me, Jacob, if you're looking at it now, who do you think some of those top guys are? And what do you think uh, a successful season will look like for whoever Nebraska's uh, number one running back ends up being? Yeah, that that, that is the question. And it it is interesting to just kind of study um, both Pittsburgh last year um, with Mark Whipple and his offense and then look at TCU and what, what their running backs did last year. And then obviously compare that with Nebraska with uh, some of those guys coming back. Um, so it, it's still trying to figure out, all right, what that picture is going to look like. Brian Applewhite has talked about um, wanting to find that number one back and have a guy that emerges to be kind of that, 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 that lead guy. And um, he thinks whoever is going to win it is going to be a really good player because he's, um, he's high on the talent on his room and the way that they're competing right now. Um, at Pittsburgh last year, they basically had three backs that all kind of rotated. Um, they all got uh, more than 500 yards, Got all got more than 100 carries. There really wasn't a lead back there. And uh, the, the talk of uh, Pittsburgh pass first, and obviously Pat Narduzzi complained about the, their lack of running, but they still ran it more and were more successful running the ball than Nebraska was last year, uh, even with uh, Narduzzi's doubts about uh, the offensive game plan. 
Um, so do how, what is that going to look like? Um, do you continue to kind of mix to have multiple guys there carrying the load? Down at TCU, I, I think they had kind of a lead guy, a uh, sophomore. Um, Zach Evans, I think, might have been the name. Uh, but kind of was the lead guy early on in the season. And then I think he got hurt. And then after that, they kind of had some other guys that, that stepped in there. And so it ended up being kind of more of a rotation um, than, than one uh, guy throughout the season. But that was also injury related. Um, so we'll, we'll see kind of what that rotation ends up looking like. All right. I, I don't know that we have uh, a 1,000-yard back that we're going to see. Um, don't know that we're going to have somebody individually that replaces uh, like that can match what Divino Sigbo did in 2018. Uh, and you talk about story. I kind of ran through the, the last four years of the, the running backs and um, <laughs> just the use of all that in that story. And kind of interesting to look at, look at just as in one big picture. But um, I, I think you've got some good options. Anthony Grant uh, seemed like obviously with the spring game, we saw that the, the big breakaway run. Um, we, we, we've heard how uh, successful, productive he was at the junior college level. Um, you feel good about that. Um, Ramir Johnson, I, I, I don't know that he's going to carry the ball as many times as he did last year. He'll be involved, but they're starting to kind of experiment with putting him in different spots, maybe playing him in the slot a little bit more. Um, and I, I, so they'll find a way to get him on the field, whether he is the lead back in the backfield or he's, um, playing kind of a, a different role out there. So I don't know that he's going to be the guy that leads the, the team in rushes this year like he did last year, kind of out of necessity. Um, he's going to be in the picture, but I think it'll be more likely that we see whether – I think Grant is probably the, the, the best bet, um, but Gabe Irvin Jr. is a, um, kind of a wild card there. We don't they, – they obviously liked him enough to start him in the season opener last year. And, Although he, he wasn't terribly productive or efficient uh, in, in his first four games before the injury, um, they they still saw enough in him to, to, to give him that role. And he's, he's obviously missed the spring coming back from the injury, but he's healthy now. Um, and it's really dived kind of right back, right in. Brian Applewhite said, like, hey, he hasn't really shown much rust here. Um, he's kind of jumped right in and it's going hard. So, Jacob, um, I hate to cut you off. Can I get you to stick around one yeah. more segment? We're up against a hard break. Yeah, you're good. More with Jacob Bedilla coming your way next on Hale Varsity Radio. Like what you hear? High-quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor. I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to hailvarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. Hanging out at the Hale Varsity Club for this Friday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark filling in for Chris Schmidt today as Chris is out at the Jack Pierce funeral paying his respects to 
uh, a guy who is not only a Nebraska legend, but a friend to all, including Chris and his family. We'll be hearing uh, a rewind segment that we had with Jack Pierce back in 2020 coming up to lead off hour two. But right now, uh, we are blessed to get another segment here with Jacob Padilla. You read Jacob Padilla on Hale Varsity Magazine covering volleyball, football, basketball. You can find him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore. And uh, Jacob was giving us some great knowledge on the Husker running back room last segment, so I had to bring him back for another segment here because, Jacob, along the offense, aside from maybe the offensive line, I think the running back position is probably the next big question mark with uh, what they brought in over the offseason a, a JUCO transfer and Anthony Grant. You have Gabe Irvin coming back from injury. And I think there's still some unknowns with, this, with what this running back position group is, is going to bring, especially with uh, a new position coach leading them and just what that running back room is going to look like. And uh, I don't expect you to have any great insight here with this, this next question I'm going to ask you. But if you had to handicap it now, if you were a betting man, how many guys in that room do you think are going to end up getting a carry against Northwestern? Is this the type of situation, you know, where the coaching staff is going to try to be finding that, that number one guy and trying to get some guys in a rhythm? Or do you think that this Northwestern game is going to be a continued part of their talent evaluation, uh, getting a couple guys out there, getting carries, and, and seeing who works best in, in a game situation? If you had to put a number on it now, how many guys – Aside from quarterbacks, just the running back room, how many guys do you think are going to end up getting a carry? If I had to guess, I'd probably, I'd probably go at three, um, kind of maybe go three and a half, set the over-under line. Okay, um, I like that. Because I, I think that – I think we'll definitely – I think Ramir will we'll get some touches in there, um, kind of, again, in that utility role. Um, and then you'll have whoever wins the starting job and then I think at least one other back will get will kind of mix in there um, as the backup. So that I think you'll have at least three, maybe maybe like a Yant sneaks in there as well if he isn't that backup. I, I think those are I think those are the four right now we're looking. I don't know that you're going to see some of those younger guys break in early in the season, especially AJ Allen is a guy I know that they're excited about, but he he wasn't suited up for practice. Um, that we were able to see uh, this week. Um, so I, I think you are looking at Grant, Irvin, Yant, and Johnson as kind of the four main guys. And wouldn't surprise me at all to see all of those guys at least get at least a couple snaps in that first one. But um, I, I think you'll see one guy kind of get 10-plus um, carries probably. I think that's what they want to get to. Um, I don't know that you're going to see a guy get 15 plus. It might be like that 9, 10, 11 for the lead guy, unless he gets into a, a rhythm and they're like, all right, we got to let this guy roll. Um, even uh, what uh, I think Yant topped out at 13 carries in that Northwestern game last year uh, where he went off. Um, so could be something like that where you, the lead guy is like that, that 10, 11, 12 range. And you get another guy that's like seven or eight and then uh, a few for uh, one or two other guys. Jacob Adil is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Jacob, say one running back doesn't really separate themselves from the crowd. Is it necessarily a bad thing that Nebraska rolls with, say, a rotation of running backs, or is it essential to find that one guy? So uh, Applewhite said it's a huge deal for him to find that one guy, but also said that he doesn't want it to be an easy, uh, an easy decision for him. He wants it to be really tough. And ultimately, I don't think it is like terribly important that they do have one guy as long as they're productive with the guys that are out there. That, the problem the last few years is they haven't been able to find a guy 
and the offensive line has been as big a part of this as the actual ball carrier. Um, they haven't been able to find a guy that they could rely on, like they could trust that they're going to like, all right, we're going to keep feeding the ball. Um, they've kind of bailed early on like a guy like Dedrick Mills who had ended up having a decent year that, that first year, but it was all like, like you look at the game log, it's like he had a really good game or he had, didn't do much at all. So it was kind of like they, they, they had a tough time sticking with him because he's getting two, three yards of carry early on. And then they're like, all right, we, we got to move the ball somehow. So they go away from that. They go to quarterback run. They go more passing. Um, they try to mix somebody else in there. So that's the problem last year. They haven't been able to find anything that's been reliable or consistent. I don't know that it has to be one guy, but they need to have production and they need to be able to stick with the, that handoff running game, even if it is a mix of a couple different guys. And you've got some guys with different skill sets in there. Um, and Apple White's trying to develop them to be all he wants all those guys to be three down backs in there. But we know that Whipple has no problems uh, calling some situational plays and trying to get the most out of the talent he has at his disposal. So um, I think that's what they're going to work towards to get that one guy to kind of emerge. But I don't necessarily know that they need a thousand yard back. If they get a, a, a starter that's like seven, eight hundred yards get a backup that, that, that tops uh, four or 500 yards as well, and then kind of mix some other guys here and there. I think they'll be fine with that, just as long as you're averaging better than 3.9 yards a carry, which is what we saw a lot of with the guys the last few years. There is Jacob Padilla joining us on this Friday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. Make sure you find him and follow him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore. He's your source for Husker Volleyball, Husker Football, and this winter he'll be your guy for Husker Hoops. Give him a follow. Jacob, appreciate you taking uh, an extended time out of your Friday afternoon joining us here for two segments, and you have a lovely weekend, all right? All right, same to you guys. There is Jacob Padilla joining us as uh, we got some great insight there into the Husker running back room. And uh, back in the first segment uh, with Jacob, we got some thoughts on Husker volleyball with him. If you missed any of that Jacob Padilla interview and you want to catch it in full, I know Connor is working tirelessly. I look at, I look at him in there on the live stream. He is working tirelessly to get that posted up on ESPNLincoln.com. And you know how I'm able to see, Connor? We are live streaming this show. Check us out. The ESPN Lincoln Twitter page as well as the ESPN Lincoln Facebook page. That's how you see our beautiful faces as it's Elijah Herbal and the award-winning Connor Clark filling in today for Chris Schmidt. And, uh, Connor, before we get out here this segment, one thing I noticed here, we've been talking a lot about this new media rights deal for the Big Ten. And I'm sitting here at the Hale Varsity Club, and I'm looking around, and the big story this week is that you know, the Big Ten's going to be dropping ESPN from their media rights negotiations. And while it doesn't seem like a big deal in space, I don't think the ESPN can go pull what they did with the NHL and pretty much pull all talk about the NHL because they didn't have the rights and you saw what it did with viewership to the NHL. I don't think the Big Ten can do that, especially, or sorry, ESPN can do that, excuse me. They can't do that during football season, but uh, I, I, I think that this might be a factor come Big Ten basketball season. Because I look at the TVs in here, you've got one on ESPN over here to my right, uh, straight ahead of me, another one on ESPN. I see three, I see four, and there's a fifth TV here in the Hale Varsity Club tuned to ESPN. And I'm not saying there's not going to be Big Ten basketball you can watch here at the Hale Varsity Club. We'll figure it out. But whenever you go around to, say, a restaurant or a bar, airport lounge, what have you, where are the TVs going to be tuned? ESPN. It's just where you go. It's, it's who has that uh, 
that natural draw. It's everyone knows. You know what? You want sports? We can tune it to ESPN. So that's going to be something interesting to follow during Big Ten basketball. But it should be noted, this decision that the Big Ten made was not made with basketball in mind. I mean, CBS is picking up one game of Big Ten football at $300 million a year. Just one game a week that they're going to be carrying. And as for Big Ten basketball as a whole, currently that media rights deal is set at just over $10 million a year. So uh, basketball is not the moneymaker, but that will be something to follow as we get a little bit closer to basketball season. We're hanging out here at the Hale Varsity Club in La Vista. Come check us out 4-6. to We'll be back after the break. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Hey, Storm Chasers fans. Your favorite baseball team is back at home August 23rd through the 28th when they take on the Rail Riders. It's a jam-packed series that includes a dollar beer night, Friday fireworks, a fun-filled Saturday with music by Lucas Minor, and craft specials on Nebraska Brewing Company. And how about Imaginary Friend Day on Sunday? Stevie, you hear that? No. Stevie, stop. This is my mic. Sorry, folks. Stevie gets excited sometimes. Hey, hold on to that excitement and channel it on August 28th at 2.05. Sound good? All right. Fans, get your tickets now before it's too late. We'll see you soon. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Friday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. We're getting you all set for the weekend. It's Elijah Herbal joining you from the Hale Varsity Club up in La Vista. Come check us out. Get yourself a cold beer. Get yourself a cocktail. Uh, the burgers are amazing up here. Got myself a patty melt after the show last week, and that was fantastic. The pretzel was awesome, too. And uh, on the list of things for me to get is the pizza. I saw one of those pizzas coming out last week, and those also look fantastic. You're just making so, me hungry. Yeah, whatever your taste is, the Hale Varsity Club has got it. Come check us out, 4 to 6. The dinner crowd is rolling in as we speak to you. The, the beers are coming out fast from the bar, and uh, they'll get you hooked up right. Come check us out. As we're going to be up here just about every single Friday during football season, 4 to 6. Most weeks, it is going to be Chris Schmidt with me. He's got the afternoon off. Uh, so today, I am joined in studio by the award-winning Connor Clark. I'm going to... Uh, I, Connor, you're just gonna—that's gonna be your title from now on. You're the award-winning I mean, Connor Clark. I sit next to the award-winning Chris Schmidt, and and it's me. I I don't think you should use it too much. I mean, we still have a <laughs> long way to go here. I I got two more years left of school before I can uh, get a title such as that. Connor, you're uh, you're getting close to graduation. When you do, uh, Connor Clark is your guy to go to for play-by-play. <laughs> I'm wearing my Lincoln Salt Dogs polo here today. And, uh, Connor, you hear him on Lincoln Salt Dogs broadcast. But, Connor, before we get out of here, uh, I realized I have put us up against a time crunch. Shane Beamer yesterday spoke with his South Carolina football team. Shane Beamer is in year two as the Gamecocks head coach, and he gave them a good message, led them all the way up to the top of the South Carolina stadium, and he had a reason for it. Let's take a listen to Coach Shane Beamer. That wasn't easy to get up here, correct? In all seriousness, I want you to understand what we do. And then also who we do it for. And y'all saw a lot of stuff happening on this walkover. You saw people out there trimming those trees to make it look great for game day. You see all the construction. You can see the new LED lights and ribbon boards. But imagine you make that walk here and now you got to climb all those steps to the very top of the upper deck where your head is against the, the back of the stadium on the last row people pay money to come watch you guys play and do that 
I don't want us to lose sight of the sacrifices that people make to come watch you guys play down there. People pay money to park, to then walk all the way down Bluff Road, to then climb up this ramp and these steps like we just did to watch you play. People park all the way over there on the top of Rosewood Drive, pay to walk all the way down Rosewood, all the way around the state fair to then make this climb all the way to the top to watch you guys play and the sacrifices that they make as well. They're going to come out here. You know how our fans are. They're the best in the country. They'll be out here when we play Georgia State. It's at night. And then they're also going to do that same walk and that same climb when we play Georgia, the second home game, at 12 noon when it's around 100 degrees out here. And they're going to sit out here in the sun. We're up here. You're damn near touching the sun for three and a half hours for you. I want to make sure we don't lose sight of what we're doing and who we're doing it for. And everybody has their why. And whether it's the fan base or whether it's your family, friends, there's a lot of people that make sacrifices to come watch us play. Don't ever, ever, ever take that for granted as well. Love that from Coach Shane Beamer. Wrapping up hour one here, we'll talk or we'll rewind with Jack Pierce, the late, great Jack Pierce after the break. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone, you're not customer-facing, it's casual dress, and the work environment. It's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at jobs at fsc.com. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back in, it's hour two. Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark filling in today for Chris Schmidt, who's off paying his respects at the funeral of Jack Pierce. And in honor of Jack, uh, we're going to take this segment. We're going to rewind back to a YouTube Tuesday segment we did back in the midst of COVID, if you remember. Didn't have much to talk about, so we went through some of the best games in Husker history. And here is Jack Pierce discussing the 1988 Nebraska-Oklahoma game. Back into it, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We are back with YouTube Tuesday. And every Tuesday, we have been uh, reviewing a Nebraska classic. 
1988, the year we did the Oklahoma State-Nebraska game. Earlier this season, we are going to spend time on the 88 Nebraska-Oklahoma showdown. That was Barry Switzer's final game before the Sooners went to the Citrus Bowl. Nebraska won 7-3 to in rain and wind in brutal conditions as Blackshirt showed up, a man who recruited a number of them, longtime assistant coach, recruiting coordinator, dear friend for a lot of years, Jack Pierce with us. Coach, how the heck are you? Well, I, I'm pretty good. Uh, I hate what's going on around here with the sicknesses and the riots, but as long as you stay in the Pierce household, you're fine. Jack, I, I want a thought from you. Overall, you were so instrumental with uh, a lot of guys in, in the 80s uh, and, and the late part of the 70s and, and even into the 90s with Nebraska and I think uh, just incredible talents like Neil Smith, second pick overall, uh, should be uh, an NFL Hall of Famer, Broderick Thomas, uh, a senior on that 88 team, the Sandman uh, Consensus All-American, number six to Tampa. Of course, Danny Noonan was in the middle there in those yeah, 80s. Good. And, I tell you what, and, and we talk about the climate and the the protests and the riots that have been going on. And Jack, you're a guy that went into a lot of tough neighborhoods, man. And you're a white guy that went into a lot of tough neighborhoods. You were able to connect with so many people and so many uh, well, back so many in kids. Those days, Schmitty, if I walked into a project, they either thought I was selling dope or a major college football coach. Yeah. In both instances, they come up to the car. Yeah, I was very, very lucky. You know, at Aniston, when I was coaching high school ball, we had riots down in Aniston, and we need to make sure everybody, everybody's taken care of. Yeah. But uh, no, you're right. I I went down three times to see Lawrence Pete at Wichita South. Mm. Charlie wasn't. Was sure, but just wanted to see more practices, and I cry. I only needed one. Yeah, Lawrence was uh, was one of the great ones. Not only on the field, Schmitty, he is a brilliant, brilliant kid. Well-to-do banker here in uh, Nebraska. Mm. Uh, no, he he was tough too. You had a bunch of kids up front. Uh, that uh, work. I don't. Uh, I don't believe we allowed much uh, uh, rushing yardage at all in that game. No, and and Lawrence Pete, uh, phenomenal ball player, like you said, out of Wichita. Uh, a lot of memorable moments in that game. And Jack, you had Lawrence Pete, and the the quarterback was Charles Thompson, an electric option quarterback, and. He actually, you know, unseated Jamel Holloway in his yeah. career at Oklahoma. Yeah. And and before the, the game finished out, you had, I think it might have been the last play of the game, you had Lawrence combine on a tackle that, that broke Charles Thompson's yeah, leg. Yeah, And I know Nebraska sent flowers to, to Thompson yeah. after yeah, the game. No, no. But, I mean, what's, what's it like to be in one of those Oklahoma-Nebraska games and it's just one of those just snot knocker defensive games. I mean, the score was seven to three. The weather was brutal. I know, raining and windy. Yeah, and, and you're just hanging on for dear life. And yeah. first series of the of the ball game, uh, Nebraska able to 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 go get a score uh, as uh, you have uh, the late great Kenny Clark uh, put a big run together, and then Steve Taylor got into the end zone, and then 
the defense uh, held on. I think uh, almost 50 carries for 90 yards was it. That's Oklahoma? For Oklahoma. Yeah. That's all they did. I know they didn't have much. Uh, and uh, with, the, with the way the weather was, he couldn't throw the ball very well either, you yeah. know, uh, which they didn't do much of anyhow. So, Yeah, Jack, uh, you, you had uh, Dana Brinson. You had Charles Fryer on that Dana squad. Dana Brinson. Valdosta, Georgia. He's a beauty. And and he was big. And, and of course, Broderick was was big. That 88 team uh, capped off a win against Oklahoma, big win against Colorado. You, you won a back and forth against Barry Sanders in Oklahoma State, and you nearly pulled the come off, come back off against UCLA that season in that, in that score fest out in the, in the Rose Bowl. Hey, funny part about that, Dana Brinson in that UCLA game, uh, do you remember a late kid that actually ended up playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Jeff Lake, right? Yeah. He, no, no, no. Car, no Car, Carnell Lake. Carnell, Carnell Lake. Lake. Yeah. He hit Dana on our sideline and hit him so hard, he knocked his helmet 10 yards back towards the line of scrimmage with the mouthpiece still on the helmet. And what Dana was laying there by our sideline. And I, I said to him, Dana, Dana, are you okay? He said, go get my mouthpiece, please. See if my teeth are in it. <laughs> <laughs> Carnell Lake, man. Yeah, he was a hitter. Yeah, he was. A lot of, lot of, lot of years for Pittsburgh. Jack Pierce is with us. It's YouTube Tuesday. We're talking Nebraska-Oklahoma, 1988. Great coach at Nebraska for a lot of years and, and recruiting coordinator. Uh, one I remember as a kid watching that game. and, and you know, my, Oh, don't do that. No, no, no. I'm, don't do that to me. No, here's the point of reference. You know my, my father, and yes. you know how big a Nebraska guy he is. And he's, I mean, he's just sitting there. Hanging on with with the the living room we were in with you know the the group of, of friends that would always get together for Nebraska games and especially and, the Oklahoma one especially the Oklahoma one and and he's just it's Barry's last game and Switzer's wearing a, a red corduroy hat it's raining and and it's the hat says beat Nebraska on it like he had for the Texas game yeah but Switzer's crouched down and. Is is sideways as the rain was going. Barry still found a way to light a cigarette on the sideline. <laughs> he was smoking on the sideline the final two minutes. He was beautiful. He was beautiful. Good coach. Very good coach. Great, great recruiter. Uh, but uh, they had some players, though, Schmitty. Oh, yeah. They had some players. They were big up front. On their offensive line, they had some good, real good players. And Thompson was a good addition to them, you know? Oh, yeah, he was. Think about that. I mean, how how great do you have to be to replace Jamel Holloway, who won a national title for you? Yeah, I just... said Jamel Holloway would, would never play. They sent me out to California to watch him practice at okay. Banning High School. Ferragamo's brother was the head coach. Oh, okay. And... Uh, I went out there and watched him one day, and I, I, uh, I kind of kept looking around for him. I couldn't find him, so I went up to Ferragamo, and I said, Hey, where's Jamel? Oh, he got in a little trouble today at school and got into a fight, and he won't be out to practice today. So I thought to myself as I was walking away, I said to myself, Geez, Thomas never going to put up with this, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. 
and uh, this and that. And I, I drove down Long Beach Poly, and I watched. Uh, I was watching some film with the coaches down at Long Beach Poly, and I didn't know who they were playing. And this kid against him is running up and down the field, throwing the ball. And I said to the coach at Polly, I said, geez, Jimmy, what's, who's, who are you playing here? He said, oh, Banning, and that's Holloway. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and I decided, I went back to the hotel, and I said, well, hell, I'll, I'll go out tomorrow and see him practice, you know, because mm-hmm. if he's that good, I want him to know what I was here, and this is when you could attend practices. Yeah. And, uh, so I went out there, and uh, here he strolls out late, and, you know, sashays around, and he gets in the huddle. They're doing a little seven-on-seven, seven, and he gets in the huddle, and he throws the ball, and the kid misses it, and he grabs the kid and yells at him, and, and we, that was right in your hands. You should have had it, you know, yeah. yelling at him. So I stayed for about a half hour. He was doing the same thing. He was yelling at kids and coaches. So I said, he, he'll never play for Tom. No. So I came back, and George didn't like that because yeah. uh, George Darlington recruited the area. But I, I said, he'll never play, you know. He's, he's crazy. He's wild. And, um, of course, you saw what happened. <laughs> he was a great player. They made a blow-up pitcher, put it on my door, <laughs> and said, Jack, Jack said he can't play. Uh Wow, was was that pretty pretty common with with the the, no, the staff? They just the staff? picked on me. They just picked me. on you. You didn't you didn't have anything uh, to give back to him because. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We went through. Uh, I went. I, I I remember when Tom Osborne banned practical jokes in the football coach's office. Who was a good practical joker? Uh, it would be me. <laughs> and. And he put an end to the whole thing. What uh, what what would you pull on people? Oh, nothing. They just uh, they're kind of internal things, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but the one that was I'll I'll tell you sometime about the one to put the end to him. But okay, not for <laughs> you know, redhead gets mad. He's like a thermometer man. He, he he gets redder from the neck all the way up till he gets to the forehead. Jack Pierce is with us. Uh, YouTube Tuesday, we're recounting Nebraska-Oklahoma. 88-7-3, Nebraska hung on to win. And, you know, Jack... Boy, hey, Schmidt, not to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. You could hear the hits outside the stadium. It was that physical? Oh, man. That was one of the most physical games I have ever seen. They were popping helmets. Back then, there was no spirit. Yeah. There was no helmet-to-helmet contact. And we had a bunch of kids on defense uh, that really, really wanted to hit you. Jack, it sounds like in the, in the game uh, there was some early remnants of a switch to a, a 4-3. And I say that because Coach Osborne, after the game, touched on that they changed their defense a little bit. And... Uh, Tom in the, in the post game said, "Well, it was kind of like a four three with the middle linebacker. Maybe some early, yeah, visions of of what happened, you know, with with Nebraska when they switched from that fifty two to a ninety uh, to the to the 
Charlie thought with the extra down linemen we'd be a lot more saltier in the gaps. Uh-huh. You know, and, and that wishbone... Uh, kind of dictated what we did. Yeah. Well, and what was that like to? Because you had to, you had to to be able to stop who you had to beat, right? I mean, yeah. you needed to beat Oklahoma, and Nebraska was able to de- defend most teams, right? You were able to to take on a South Carolina that threw the ball or a UCLA most years, right? Yeah. Uh, I think Lance Lance was the coordinator. Okay. And Charlie was Charlie was the offense or defensive line coach. Mm-hmm. And Charlie had this innate sense of what was going to work up front. You know what I mean? He just knew. Yeah, he and he could switch. Our kids were so smart. Yeah. You know, Barry and I were talking one time and and I, he said the you guys shouldn't ever beat us. I said, well, we were playing probably uh, with lesser athletes, and I don't mean that to degrade anyone. Uh, but uh, what it we were playing with smarter athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't take the false step. They could switch from a from a, a, a three four to a four three. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And 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 they understood the technique and they understood the uh, their uh, their role. Jack, uh, when we when we look at the '88 season, last thought here. You guys started the year off with the kickoff classic. You beat A and M. You ended up eleven and one. That that one that that tough loss to UCLA, and then you went down to Miami. Do you remember much about the the Orange Bowl and how good did it feel all those years of Sooner Magic to to kind of slam the door on Sooner Magic as as OU's driving to to try and win the thing, you know, ten to seven in the in the rain, and it's Barry's last dance, and, and you you send him out without uh, without a win. Well, I, I tell you, <clears throat> I don't feel sorry for him. <laughs> Not a bit. A lot, a lot of heartbreak. <laughs> Not a bit. But uh, no, Barry. Barry was very. Barry was always a gentleman. Yeah. And he loved Bob. Uh, he, uh, I love Bob Devaney, mm-hmm. and uh, he liked Tom too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got some old stories of him, and but that'd take another. Another deal, but him and Tom, uh, how they used to trade barbs and stuff like that, and they did. You know what I mean? Was it was it good natured or I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. no 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 no, Schmitty, it was it was good. Yeah. It was good, but, but Barry was always like that Cheshire Cat. And, uh, <laughs> what's that movie? Wizard of Oz, or I, I don't know the movie, well, but, I, but, but, but they but, sat in a tree and smiled all the time. Yeah, Barry's smiling. Yeah, yeah, he, he smiled all the time. Yeah. 
Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. Ten issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Friday edition of Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, getting you all set for the weekend. We're up here at the Hail Varsity Club in La Vista. Come visit us here from four to six, as we just heard from the late great Jack Pierce. Jack being laid to rest today, so we went back to that YouTube Tuesday segment from back in June of 2020 uh, to hear from uh, Jack about that 1988 Nebraska-Oklahoma game now. Let's uh, get caught up with Lars Anderson as uh, Lars gives us an update into SEC football, Alabama, and what he expects from the Big Red this season. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's catch up with uh, native Nebraskan and co-host of the Jay Barker Show, New York Times best-selling author, 12 times over, and of course part of the Lawrence Phillips documentary, Lars Anderson with us at Lars Anderson 71. Lars, we're getting close to the season. How are we doing? Doing good, man. Uh, it's, it's exciting. A lot of different storylines to be following in college football, and uh, you know, uh, Alabama, where I live in Birmingham, uh, the Crimson Tide look as strong as ever. And I know that Nick Saban got a little bit of flack the other day saying that last year was a rebuilding year for Alabama, but in a lot of ways it actually was. And I know they went undefeated, or, or sorry, won the SEC conference and made it to the national championship game and, and really were about one drop away uh, from a, a wide receiver from really, I think, putting that game away uh, late in the third quarter. But um, yeah, they had a lot of holes to fill. It was a very, it was an imperfect team, and uh, you know Alabama does have some question marks, offensive line, wide receiver, but they also have who I think are the two best players in the country, in Will Anderson, the defensive end, Blaster, uh, stand-up linebacker, rushing from the edge, and uh, Bryce Young, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. I think both of them are just going to be outstanding again. Lars, how does Roll Tide Nation react when they hear rebuild? I know what some of the national SEC media said, and they called it excuse-making, but they lose draft pick after draft pick, coach after coach, <laughs> every year, and they're still 13-1, and one and, and, and that isn't good enough. I mean, they're... Their only direction is doubt because of what the standard is and what Nick's done. So how do the fans view that? Do they roll their eyes or do they kind of nod their head and say, yeah, they did rebuild and it was a hell of a remodel job? (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, Nick says a version of this every single year and that every team is different. Every team has to create its own identity. Every team has to find its leaders, you know, blah, blah, blah. All All the talking points that he hits. At the beginning of of, uh, of uh, fall practice, um, and I think that's really what he was getting at. 
but it just it didn't come out that way in the interview. Uh, it was a little bit different. But, look, Alabama's going to be leaning big time on transfers, uh, two wide receivers, starting running back, uh, starting corner. Um, they, they really hit the transfer portal hard, uh, just like they did last year with Jamison Williams from Ohio State. You know, I don't think Alabama makes the national championship game without Jamison Williams. And I think they win the national championship game if he doesn't get hurt. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is sort of a similarity between Alabama and Nebraska. I think Alabama's probably taken on some higher-level transfers than Nebraska at this point. But um, they certainly uh, are going to play a big, big role uh, this upcoming season, uh, again, especially at, at wide receiver and then in the defensive backfield. Yeah, I like that, Lars. I like to hear you comparing Nebraska to Alabama. That that, that gets me really <laughs> excited. But, I, I mean, everyone's a threat to Nebraska in the Big Ten. As for Alabama down the SEC, are there any real threats to them this season aside from Georgia? Or, or is Alabama just the, the presumptive favorite to go on and, and win the SEC again? Yeah, Alabama's the overwhelming favorite. Um, you know, and a lot of it has to do with, with Bryce Young uh, again and, and Will Anderson. And the thing is that the other outside linebacker is named Dallas Turner. He is uh, almost as dominating as Will Anderson. And when people are talking about Will Anderson in Alabama and the coaching staff and guys who have been around the program for a long time, the comparison name they use just blows your mind, and it's Derek Thomas. Uh, and, you know, Will Anderson is, is special. He is special. I talked to an NFL scout the other day, and uh, a buddy of mine who uh, I, I've known for 20 years, and uh, he said that it was a, quote, pleasure to watch Will Anderson on tape because the guy is unblockable. I mean, I think if he stays healthy, I think he'll be the number one overall pick before even Bryce Young. Of course, it probably depends on who has that first pick and if a team has a need at quarterback, but uh, he is really, really good. And uh, if you double-team him, which the teams have tried to do, or chip him with a back or an H-back, uh, that's going to free up Dallas Turner on the other side. And, and uh, this defense has a chance at Alabama to be Nick Saban's best. And that, that's saying a lot, because uh, you go back to that uh, 2009 team that won the national championship, and the 2011 team won the title 2012. Uh, those were some really, really dominating defenses. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the one team that, you know, that they'll probably end up meeting the SEC championship game is Georgia. But Georgia lost so much. Now, can Kirby Smart replenish his roster the way that Nick, Nick has done? You know, uh, there have been, I think Georgia lost six guys in the first round or mm-hmm. something. And uh, I think Nick has lost five or so in the past and, been able to, to come back uh, kind of as strong as ever. But it's, uh, it looks like it's going to be a two-horse race between Georgia and Alabama and maybe Texas A&M. Uh, they come to Tuscaloosa, I think, on October 10th or 11th, and that's a very eagerly anticipated game in, in, in my neck of the woods because of uh, the off-season um, back and forth between Nick and Jimbo Fisher and um, – you know, Jimbo said just some outlandish stuff. Uh, uh, trust me, people at Alabama have not forgotten, you know, saying that Nick wasn't hit enough as a kid and 
and that and that and that people need to investigate Nick, uh, implying very clearly that Nick's been cheating for years. And it was it was really it was the most bizarre thirteen minute press conference I've ever seen. Uh, his SID clearly had Texas A&M. Uh, we, we know who's in charge, and it's not the SID, because I'm sure everybody was just saying, hey, Jimbo, calm down, calm down. Of course, Jimbo's tried to walk back about everything he said. But, um, yeah, so that, that'll be a, an interesting game. But uh, I, I don't think Alabama's really going to get challenged too much this year. Will Anderson, could he be the first defensive Heisman winner since Woodson? I think there's a possibility uh, just because, again, Dallas Turner is so good on the other side, it will be difficult to uh, double Anderson all the time. And, gosh, I mean, the guy is just uh, he, he's a monster. And uh, he's from Georgia. Got out, He got away from Kirby Smart. And, um, yeah, he's a, he's a really nice young man, too, very quiet, humble. Um, didn't take any NIL money last year. He's cashed in a little bit this year. But, um, yeah, I think Will Anderson definitely should be, he should be in the conversation uh, for the Heisman and just kind of see how his season evolves. Lars, uh, you, you look at some of the, the hot seat rankings or storylines uh, around the country. You had so many major jobs open last year. A lot of Blue Blood gigs opened up. Uh, Nebraska, without having to do too hard a math is is on that list this year that you, you see auburn and i know you you know folks over at auburn as well what's the what's the the view on that program their boosters how how difficult a gig is it to to fill I and mean, they've been through coaches uh they've they've hired well but those guys haven't lasted necessarily because of uh some of the the, the friends of the program <laughs> and their expectations. Yeah, I mean, Brian Harson is dead man walking. <laughs> he he will have to uh, basically go almost like twelve and one this year and beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl on the road to save his job. Uh, he, you know, coming from Boise, I liked the hire at the time because uh, it was so outside of the box for Auburn. You know, they normally hire someone who is familiar with the SEC conference and has relationships with the high school coaches in the area and, you know, all the stuff you need to, to build a program. And Harson just did everything wrong his first year. I mean, everything wrong. Starting with his opening press conference, he just waxed nostalgic or the opening 15 minutes about how great Boise was. And the Auburn people are like, uh, hello, who's paying your check now? <laughs> and uh, he, he just didn't get it. He did not get it. Uh, he didn't get the 24-7 constant, you know, uh, intensity of uh, football and the, the college football in the South and uh, rubbed Auburn fans the, the wrong way, especially a few boosters who uh, control the first strings, and, you know, they tried to, they tried to orchestrate the coup d'etat in the uh, offseason. And Harson was smart. You know what he did? He was in Mexico, 
And instead of facing the music and coming back to Auburn, he extended his vacation so they couldn't get in touch with him. <laughs> so it was the, it was the wisest uh, wisest view. It was, it was the best movie made all year because it essentially saved his job. Uh, but like they got problems at quarterback, they got problems, you know, <laughs> they got problems all up and down that roster. The lack of talent, and I even said, you know, not to. Uh, throw shade at Nebraska in the latest recruiting rankings that I read, Nebraska's even ahead of Auburn. So uh, Auburn's in deep trouble, and they're projected, the, the SEC media has Auburn as finishing in the basement of the SEC West. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a job where you could win. I mean, clearly, you know, Gus on at the team in the national title game, should have probably should have beat Florida State that night, and and with Cam back in 2011, um, Chizik, who I've become a little close with, Gene Chizik, he, he won a national title there. So you definitely can win, but uh, it, it, it's not easy because it's just uh, there's a lot of people that you have to placate, and you have to do a lot of sort of handshaking. You got to, you know, have dinners, and you got to play the political game at Auburn probably more than at any other school at SEC. It's New York Times best-selling author Lars Anderson with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, Lars is our man down in the South, the author of six different New York Times best-selling books. We'll get into some Nebraska talk coming up with Lars after the break here on Hale Varsity Radio. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Lars Anderson is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, and Lars, I, I want to move up and talk just a little bit of Big Ten here in uh, just a wild summer overall for the conference, adding USC and UCLA. Uh, and now the reports are out this week that they're going to be dropping ESPN as a, as a carrier of the Big Ten. It's going to go to CBS, NBC, and Fox. I want to get your reaction to what the Big Ten has done this summer and I guess a little bit closer home to you. How do you think the, the SEC is going to respond moving forward? Yeah, um... I think everything that, that, that Warren has done has just been brilliant. You know, um, the fact that they were able to keep a lid on SC, on USC coming to the coming to the Big Ten that didn't leak out is amazing to me because so many people had to know about that. So you add these two great programs, you extend the the footprint, and then uh, you cut this historic TV deal. Uh, and I, I think the, uh, the the fact that you got NBC involved all but assures that Notre Dame is going to join the Big Ten eventually. When that is, I don't know. But you know, Notre Dame is sort of the last big uh, the last big school out there that hasn't been gobbled up by either the uh, ACC or or the Big Ten, and uh, I think it bodes well. Now, yeah, there certainly will be a counter move by the SEC, and I think that will probably come, you know, maybe in next off season. But who knows? But I, I think they'll go after um, maybe a, a, they'll go after a few teams in the ACC. And I know that they have the ACC has this sort of formal agreement where the members have pledged that they can't leave the conference for like ten or fifteen years or something. But I'm, I'm sure smart lawyers can figure out a way around that. And uh, but I, I think they'll go after Florida State, Clemson, uh, maybe North Carolina, uh, maybe uh, a, 
yeah, I, I'm not even sure, but I think they'll go after probably four schools in the in the ACC, and then ultimately I, it's going to be a fight for survival uh, between the ACC and the Big 12. And I actually like the Big 12's chances in this, and uh, because those Pac Pac 12 teams or Pac 10 or whatever it is now, they're going to have to go somewhere, and Oregon is, uh, you know, uh, a, a valued program. Washington, Arizona, Arizona State, I think all those teams would make sense in the in the Big 12 eventually. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just amazing how quickly the landscape is shifting beneath our feet but just as we speak, you know, with uh, NIL, Transfer Portal, uh, conference realignment, new TV deals, new rivalries, uh, there's just so much happening, and I would say it's not necessarily happening for the best. But for somebody like Nebraska, uh, a team like Nebraska, I think all this stuff is very, very positive because they couldn't win under the old system, right? It's it, it, Tom Osborne's not, like, walking through the door anytime soon again. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously Nebraska got, uh, you guys would know the number, I think more transfers than any other uh, school in the country, and they certainly need it. I think Nebraska is going to have a chance to really uh, uh, offer uh, high school kids uh, some great NIL opportunities that some other schools maybe can't, uh, because NIL is ultimately going to come down to fan bases and uh, I know at Alabama they just set up a, a collective where, uh, you know, average Joe fan can put 20 bucks in it, you know, 40 bucks, 100 bucks, not necessarily be just this huge donor, but um, you make you makes you feel like you're part of the program. And uh, I think Nebraska can do something similar just because the, the fan base, you need, you need two things. You need a, a large fan base, you need a passionate fan base, that will translate into giving money, and uh, and this is all going to come down to money, guys. Unless there is federal legislation, which I know uh, uh, Joe Mannion and Tommy Tuberville, who's got to be the, the most moronic senator in D.C., but uh, and I like Tubbs as a, as a as a person when he was at Auburn, but uh, I know that Mannion and Tuberville are beginning to craft some legislation. And Mannion is. Uh, Senator out of West Virginia, who just happens to be Nick Saban's best friend. Um, so we'll see. But without that, it just—it's it, going to come. Recruiting is going to come down to who's going to give me the most money. I mean, it's just like it, it, like anybody, any job, right? Whoever offers you the best deal, more than likely, you're going to take it. And and the, the numbers that are being thrown around are just astronomical, as you guys know. Last thought, Lars. Lars Anderson with us at Lars Anderson 71, co-host Jay Barker, showdown in Alabama. So you want to see what as a Nebraska fan uh, from the offense this year? Well, um, I would definitely want to see uh, Scott staying away from Whipple on the sideline, <laughs> all right? So, so he's not uh, interjecting his thoughts um, because – uh, Scott's offense is obviously not worked, and I, I know that people are going to, or the, there's been, you know, reports out there that Nebraska is going to be throwing the ball all around the yard, and maybe that will, maybe that will be the case, maybe not. But if you actually go back and look at the run-pass ratio at Pitt, 
uh, last year. It really wasn't that far from uh, the norm where, where Whipple was the uh, OC and he had a first-round draft pick quarterback in Kenny Pickett. And, uh, you know, hopefully a lot is on Whipple, obviously. Uh, and also just uh, there were too many times last year where Nebraska was just overmatched at the point of attack. And that, that, that to me, is a longtime Nebraska fan, is the, is the hardest thing to, to watch when your, your O-line and your D-line are just getting pushed around. And it's like you got, you got no chance here. Uh, because that's got to be Nebraska's bread and butter. And I, I don't know what happened, like if there's been a fall-off in, in weight training or, or, or what. I think the strength but, and conditioning's been, been really good. It's just you, you wear down if you got to carry all three phases of the game, and that's what happened to the defense last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's a very, very good point. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think this first game – against Northwestern over in Dublin. I uh, really wish I was covering that. Uh, <laughs> Dublin's one of my favorite cities in the world. Well, give but, me a tour guide because I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're going to be there. I, I think it's easy to you know overstate things before the season starts, but this is the tone setter for the whole season. Nebraska's got to win this game. They have got to win this game. It absolutely is the most important game of Scott Frost's career. Scott Frost has given, been given more chances, I think, than any coach in Nebraska history. He's been given more chances, I think, than any coach currently in college football. And this is it. Lars Anderson with us, co-host Jay Barker's show, Native Nebraskan and a 12-time New York Times bestselling author. Give Lars a follow on Twitter at LarsAnderson71. Lars, we'll talk soon. Thanks for making time today. Yeah, great talking to you guys. This is Lars Anderson with us on Hale Varsity Radio. As Lars, uh, I said before that interview, he's our man down in the south, giving us a great scoop on SEC football here this season before getting up to Nebraska. Lars definitely does have his connections with Nebraska. If you remember, Lars is the guy that broke the news that Scott Frost was coming to Nebraska. So he's a New York Times bestselling author for a reason. We love getting caught up with Lars Anderson, and we just heard from him. If you missed that interview, check it out in full. ESPNLincoln.com should be posted shortly after the show. We'll wrap up a Friday edition of Hale Varsity Radio after the break. There's nothing better than enjoying some sun with a drink and hot dog in hand, taking in America's pastime. Whether you're here for the baseball or the entertainment that comes with it, Werner Park is the place to be. The Omaha Storm Chasers have a handful of home games remaining, so get your tickets before it's too late. Give yourself something to look forward to as the summer winds down. Don't miss this opportunity to make lifelong memories with family and friends. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back in one last time here on a Friday as we get you all geared up for the weekend. It's Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And uh, for anyone that needs their weekend fix, we'll also be with you at 7 to 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. It's for our local listeners on ESPN Lincoln. It'll also be available for those listening across the state, whether you're listening in Omaha, Hastings, Kearney, Grand Island, Columbus, all those places. Check it out in podcast form. Uh, 
that via Apple Podcasts, excuse me, Spotify, the Hail Varsity YouTube page, really wherever you like to get your podcasts, that's where you can check us out. And uh, for our listeners in other states, even internationally, we see you, we hear you. Check us out in podcast form. That's the best way that you can stay up to date with all things Hail Varsity Radio. Today, we've been broadcasted up at the Hail Varsity Club in La Vista. Come check it out. We're here four to six, uh, a lot of Fridays here this fall, as it's a great place to get yourself a cold one, get yourself a pizza, a burger, a pretzel. I said that earlier in the show, and I'll say it again. The pretzels here are incredible. Comes the a great beer cheese sauce, and it's just delicious. I wish I had time to, to stay for a pretzel after the show here, but i got to get back down to Lincoln. Uh, also, your fix of TVs and all the live sporting uh, events you could ever need. As I'm looking up at the big screen right now up over the bar, and what do we have on but preseason football, the Lions and the Falcons. I saw Aiden Hutchinson make a couple big plays for himself on the first drive of the game. We're into the second quarter now. The backups are into the game. Lions are up 10-7, to and Connor, I want to get your take on this. How much does preseason football matter, if at all? I mean, I know I'm going to be a guy who's, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to trudge through a four quarters of my Broncos playing with the starters <laughs> playing, you know, one drive. But I got to see Russell Wilson. I got to see him perform. And I got to see how, you know, the, the next man up mentality. I got to see how those next guys up do. But we're going to get to the second half and then it, it just turns into a, 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 a drudge. Like, what's your take? Do you watch preseason football? Do you appreciate it? I mean, for me, it's like, Football's back. I get to see a, a quick preview of what my team's going to look like this season. But other than that, like maybe a little bit of insight from my fantasy football team. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it depends year to year and depending on who you have. So, for example, the Broncos have Russell Wilson now for the first year. Last year for the Bears, it was the first year of Justin Fields, and he was going to get decent amount of snaps in preseason. So, of course, I'm going to tune in and see what he looks like. I mean, this year, I probably will maybe turn on like 10 minutes of a Bears preseason game. Maybe well, yeah, I mean, the, the Bears background. are probably going to be the worst team in football. I mean, year, they so. probably are. So <laughs> you don't need to remind me of that, Elijah. Damn it. But <laughs> it's just, it's going to be a rough fall for Bears fans. So bear with me. But yeah, I mean, preseason doesn't matter unless you have a brand new player or you want to see your first round draft pick, such as Aiden Hutchinson, or if you get a brand new quarterback, such as Russell Wilson. So for those reasons, I understand, but I'm not going to sit down and watch a full four quarter preseason NFL game before we get out of here how's your fantasy team looking so far this year have you drafted yet I've drafted in one league it's my first ever dynasty league it's actually with the salt mm-hmm. dogs not looking too bad I I like my running backs a lot I think I'm just one more big wide receiver away from having a, a very good team yeah I don't hate how my dynasty team looks we're in the midst of our draft right now and looks all right I need some some trades I have both Tyreek Hill and uh, Jalen Waddle as two of my keepers in that league, and I think I need to cut out one of those wide receivers. So I'm going to look to get myself a, a, a decent starting running back with probably Tyree Kill. I think he's the guy I'm going to put on the move. But then the, the league I care a lot about more drafts in, uh, I think, two weeks. We, we get going right before the, uh, the NFL uh, regular season actually gets started. So I'm looking forward to that. Also looking forward to a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio tomorrow morning, 7 to 9 on ESPN Lincoln. Check us out. We'll talk to you then. A Huda Media Production.